again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We're pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. We are taught this week by lead teacher Randy Pope. Thank you for joining us today. Our Father in heaven, we we bow our, our hearts right now. And when we say that, we, we submit. We, we're simply saying, you're God and we're your creation. And we look up to you and we say, God, we, we do believe that you alone can change hearts. And we need our hearts changed. We believe that. And so we come here as a very blessed people to be free to come worship and and to sit under the teaching of your word at a place where it is believed and heralded to be exactly what you meant it to be, your word. So would you speak to our minds and our hearts in such a way that we would be indelibly imprinted by truth that would in turn set us free, but only to the end that we can be used of you to minister to others and to honor your name. So we commit our time to you regardless where we are spiritually. We want to understand you better We want to know you more than we've ever, ever, ever known you. We want it to be a much richer relationship. So grant that to happen week after week and even this day. And we pray in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Many of you were not here certainly last week. And if not, you need to know that that we uh, we jumped into the first of a two-part message today uh, that deals with the story. We've been in this series about the story now for several weeks. We... um, We shared how Jesus, uh, in a sense, when he entered into his public ministry, he came out swinging. I mean, he was going after the very religious, I mean, the experts of the religious world of Judaism. He came across so offensively, not because of who he was or his character, not at all. In fact, that was confusing because he was so attractive. But but his words were countering everything they believed. And worse than that, he was indicting the wealthiest, spiritually speaking, of the people of that land. The best of the best of the best, known as the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus had been welcoming people who were the bad people in their minds, the worst of the worst. They were called tax gatherers and then sinners. And we talked about who those people are. And they're the worst of the people of society. And they were Jewish people who had denied the people of God and the laws of God. And the good people were saying, Jesus, how in the world can you welcome these people who are so bad and sit with them and have a meal with them? No, you don't do that. And so Jesus knew their hearts, and he said, I'm going to have to confront you, and he does so through parables. There are three parables that say virtually the same thing. They're identified in the text of Luke 15 as one parable. And so, again, just to kind of get us started in the text, many of you new to the series, verses 1 through 3 of Luke 15, it starts like this. Now, all the tax gatherers, or I should call them tax 
collectors, same as tax gatherers in many translations, and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes, those are the best of the best of the best, began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners, literally welcomes sinners, and eats with them. Therefore, he told them this parable, which is really three parables into one. Now, if you were to follow the text, I won't read it to you, but there are the three parables beginning with the lost sheep, verses 4 through 7. Now, the lost sheep it refers to a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. One goes astray, and when the one goes astray, he leaves the 99, which is big because anybody knows anything about sheep, and they did in that day, that the sheep would become very irritable. It wouldn't be a fun experience to lose sight of their shepherd. But the shepherd said, in spite of that, I'm going to go out. I'm going to find the one, and he does. He finds the one, and he puts it on his shoulder, and he comes home, it says, rejoicing, and then it says this, even so, here's the, here's the telltale, the angels of heaven rejoice more over one lost sheep needing repentance than the 99 who don't need repentance. Now, in their minds, they'd hear that and say, whoa, 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 whoa. But he kind of piles on. He says, and there's a lady. She has 10 coins. She loses one. And she goes looking for the one coin. And she searches and searches. She finds the one coin. And she rejoices, pointing to the fact that even as the angels in heaven rejoice more over one lost sheep. Same way. One lost coin of 10. Doesn't matter. Now he's going to really hit hard. He's just teed it up with those two. Because now he's going to do the parable and we call it of the prodigal son. It shows how poorly we've interpreted, interpreted that text for centuries, really. In this regard, the text really is not about the prodigal. The story is about not the tax gatherers and the sinners. They're in the story called a younger brother. But it's about those scribes and Pharisees who is the elder brother. Here's how the story goes. I invite you, if you have your Bibles, I've been reading this text week after week. It's a long one, and so I'm not going to read it again this week, but just so you get the highlight story, and I hope you have your Bibles, and you can uh, dip into this text quite a bit in a minute. But, but the basic story is this. Most of you know it. Younger brother goes to his dad, says, give me, your, give me my inheritance. I want to spend it now the way I want to spend it. I think I can take care of myself good enough. I don't need you anymore. And so it says that he left home, went to a distant, a distant country. He goes to this distant country, and there he engages in loose living, and we identify him later as throwing his money toward prostitutes and all kind of, of loose living, as he uses that term. He finds himself now deplete of all of his resources. He now has to work as a hired servant, and he is feeding swine, the lowest of all jobs. He finds himself without food, and he's wanting the food that he's supposed to be giving to the swine. And it's, all of a sudden, it says he came to his senses, and he says, you know what? I'm crazy. I'm out here doing this, and, and the hired hands of my dad are being fed well. They're taken care of. I'll go back and just submit to him as a hired hand, not as a son, but just as a hired hand, and at least I can have what I need provided. He comes home. He's at a distance. His father sees him coming. And he rushes out, he hugs him, he kisses him. He tells his servants, get him a robe, get him sandals, put a ring on his finger. 
My son has come home. And oh, by the way, kill the fatted calf. Bring all of his friends in. Let's all celebrate the return. And then comes the elder brother, representing the scribes and the Pharisees. And the elder brother sees what's happening and asks, us, what's going on? He said, well, your other young brother, he's come. He's come home. And your dad is throwing the biggest of parties. And he gets so angry, he even goes to his dad and he says, are you telling me that I have stayed here at home? I have been doing whatever you asked me to do. You have never celebrated me. And you're celebrating him? He is ticked. His dad says, I plead with you, come in. He refuses to do it. That's the story to the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, I'm begging you, come in. But they're saying, no, we're not going to come in. We're not going to do it. Now, in light of that, two weeks ago, we started with what is the story? And we said the story is the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel's good news. Well, what is the good news? Well, we, we tried to hold up against one another the counterfeit gospel and the authentic gospel. And then we even looked at a distorted view of the authentic. But if you hold those two together, what is the gospel? It, it's the good news. It's the good news of what God has done. Well, then we said, all right, then let's go a little bit further. What is the, uh, uh, who needs this story? And that's what we started last week. We're in it this week as well, part two. Who needs the story? The answer made very simple is this. The people who were embracing the counterfeit story, the scribes and the Pharisees, they said bad people. Bad people need the gospel. Jesus is now teaching them through these parables. He's teaching this story that, no, it's the authentic gospel, and it says, oh, yes, bad people need the gospel but so do good people. Bad and good alike need the gospel. In that statement, he's basically saying this. You people who are the good guys are as bad as the bad guys. There it is. They were infuriated over it. Now, to make his teaching clear, what he's done in these two weeks of our study what we're pulling out of here is how he's redefining sin. He had to say, you guys don't get what sin is. You think it's outward immorality only. No, 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 no. It's inward stuff too. What we're going to look at next week, who will embrace the gospel? And for that week and the following week, he's going to redefine repentance we're going to see how he is say, you've got to get a new understanding of sin. You've got to get a new understanding of repentance. But this idea of sin is what he's hammering on as we look at it this week. I keep saying this. I'm going to say it every week. If you really want to get this in its greatest depth, go to Keller's book, Tim Keller's book, uh, uh, The uh, Prodigal God. I read it years ago when it first came out. And it's an outstanding book. It shaped my whole understanding uh, of the text, as it will yours in a great way three truths. We looked at these two last week, and I'll just read them and make a quick statement, and we'll jump into the third and final one. All people are alienated from God. Now, all people don't know they're alienated, but all people are alienated. And so, I ended that point by simply saying to those that were seekers, there's good news. Regardless how we're alienated from God, 
whether we're going to find ourselves to be younger brothers or elder brothers. Know this, our Jesus is a welcoming Jesus. And he says, you come. There's not one thing anyone has ever done that's sitting here today, not one thing that could stop the Father from opening up his arms and saying, welcome. And it's all because of what our big brother Jesus has done. It's all about him. Now, we look at a second point last week, and the second one was this. Lost people express their alienation from God in different ways. And so we jumped into the realities of, first, the prideful rebels. And you'll find that if you're looking at your Bibles in verses 11 through 13 primarily. But the the prideful rebels are deceived by the alluring world. So the rebels, they go to this distant country. Now, Augustine, he says, that is forgetting God. You and I need to understand that every time that we say, okay, I really believe that if I do it the way I think is right to do, and I don't listen to this, which is God's Word, and I'm going to instead do it my way. That is the attitude of the younger brother. That's when we forget God and say, I'll take care of myself, and I'll do it the way I think is best. I guarantee some of you high school kids, some of you high schoolers, you're going to find yourself going off to college And you're going to find out that even more so than you found out in high school that the temptation to go to the alluring world is going to be much, much, much stronger. And there's going to be that temptation to think, you know what, if I just just leave home, I can find something out there that's going to satisfy like nothing else can satisfy. I suggested last week I'm going to suggest again, let me tell you, that is a poor, poor gamble. I'm a betting man. Every one of us bet every day something. And in the religious world, here's what I'm betting. When I got up this morning, I was betting that God's Word would speak to me and that me spending time in prayer would enrich my soul. I took a gamble. I may have wasted an hour of my morning this morning. I may have just wasted it. If this isn't true, I'm taking a gamble. But let me tell you, what I think is the most foolish thing in the world is for somebody to take a bet and say, I'm going to bet a lot that's going to cost me big time if I lose, and oh, by the way, I don't think I'm going to win. That's a terrible bet. And there are some of us here that are finding ourselves the prideful rebel right now And you know what? In reality, we're doing, we're saying, you know what? I I believe that God's Word is true, but I'm going to go against it anyway. Folks, that's just a bad bet. Stay away from it. If you think that this is what God is saying, and it's real, and it's true, and He's who He claims to be, then bet on that behalf always, as best you know how. Keep betting on what you believe is right. Now, there's also the religious moralist, and that's found in verses 25 through 31 primarily. And the religious moralists are deceived by their own relative goodness, their own relative goodness. And the words they're not willing to go in. 
they've been near, but uh, the younger brother has not come home. And I concluded that point last week by simply saying, you can be with God while far away. And number two, you can be sincere in your faith, but lost. Got to know that. You can be sincere of your Christian faith and still be lost. My story, I was so sincere, I was convinced I was a Christian only to find out that I wasn't. Sincerity was not my issue. I was not abiding in the truth. How do you know? Jesus said, you'll know by your fruit. It's the fruit of your life. You don't know by your sincerity. You don't know by how close you are to home. You don't know how good, by the fact, you're keeping the law. I, said, I shared last week, man, I, I do good stuff all the time. I'm paid to do good things. And I, I'm just constantly doing the good things. But that doesn't mean they're the right things. Not in the sight of God. Because he's redefining sin, saying it gets down to motive. Do you know this morning, I spent much of my time, I spent time this morning just asking God, to just show me the sinfulness of my heart. And you're going to see why as we move now to point number three. Number three goes like this. Religious moralists are worse off than prideful rebels. Now, I've identified myself as an elder brother by my mindset. I'm not the elder brother in the fact that I've not come home. I was the elder brother who has now come home. And what I'm battling with is an elder brother mindset. There are many of us that were younger brothers, and we're battling with a younger brother mindset. I just want to hit the mindset. Why are they worse off? Let me suggest four reasons. Number one, their goodness masks their need for the gospel. You see, when we go out and we do the bad things, when we're the worst of people, we do stuff that have bad consequences. I mean, there is no doubt about it. No doubt about it that when we, that when we do the things that accompany loose living, there's guilt. And guilt hurts. We don't like guilt. There's consequences. When we do really, really, really bad things, man, there's some bad consequences. All right, I'm going to go have premarital sex. You can get in big trouble. Next thing you know, there's pregnancy. There's guilt that goes with, I mean, there's all kind of stuff that can happen that are just consequences. But you know what? When I preach a sermon that might be an okay sermon, but it's, but it's preached with bad motives, I don't really feel much consequence from that. I just look at the outward and go, well, okay, did a good job. Maybe that's okay. You did your job this week. You studied hard. You prepared. You did. Oh, that's no good. But see, the issue is worse off. Why? Because it masks our goodness, just masks our need for the gospel. Look at number two. Number two. Their proximity to him convinces them that they are not really far away from home. That was the, that was the elder brother's problem. He thought, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm right here. There's my house. I, I'm, I'm close. I'm good. He says, no, no, no. Close is not good enough. 
Close is deceiving because it makes you think because, oh, yeah, you can get this benefit from being close to the house and you see this and people think you're part of the home because you're so close to the house and you, yeah, 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 I got all that. But let me tell you, it deceives you. Close but not there. Very important. Look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, but he became angry, was not willing to go in. That's talking about the elder brother. He would not go in near, but wouldn't go in. His father came out, began pleading with him, but he wouldn't go in. See, in is in relationship. Proximity is in obedience. Obedience without relationship. Worse off. Number three, their pride of performance robs them of the joy of grace. The elder brother does not have a lot of joy. They, they just can't see a need for grace. Why do they need grace? I got performance. I, I've, I've done good enough that I, I don't need a lot of help. I'm really doing pretty good. Where the younger brother says, uh-oh, I lost it all. Can anybody give me something? And then they hear the story of Jesus and say, thank you. Thank you. So it robs them of their joy. Number four, their comparison of personal goodness with those of lesser performance leads to jealousy expressed toward the recipients of God's grace. Now, this is where they say, hey, not fair. Look at verse 29 through 30. He answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you, I've never neglected a command of yours, yet you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, when he came, who's devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? See, it just doesn't seem fair. At this point, he says, I'm jealous. This is not right. You need to be treating me the way you treated him. In fact, you need to treat me better than the way you're treating him. That's the mindset of the elder brother. Maybe I'll put it this way. We had a man in, uh, I think I've shared this story before here, but uh, we had a man in, uh, in our IF investigative forum, and if you know about that, when we do once or twice a year, we'll, we'll have a three or four week, four week period that, that we will bring in anybody that wants to come, and you can ask any question. It's a, we, we present you know, Christianity as best we know how, and we have an open floor for, for a, a mic for question and answers. You can text or email your questions in, but... One man stood up, never forget this, he was right here from me, he was right in the middle, he stood up and he said, let, let, me, let me get this straight. Uh, what you're saying is this, my dad, who is the finest man I've ever known in my life, he just recently died. He said he, not a Christian. You're telling me that a rapist, a serial rapist and murderer, in the last second of his life, he becomes a Christian, the way your Bible talks about being a Christian? Uh, you're going to tell me that right now my dad is perishing in some kind of hell, and that serial murderer, he's in heaven, accepted by God? Now, we know the answer to that question is yes. But we understand that anybody with an elder brother mindset, an elder brother theology would never agree with that. 
The person who says, well, you, you're telling me a, a Hitler right before he took his life? Hitler? If he became a Christian? Mother Teresa, if she were a, a religious moralist and nobody even would know it, which I don't think that is the case, but were it the case, you're saying that he's with God and she's not? That's not fair. It tells us this, we have not gotten out of the elder brother trap. We're still hanging on to this idea that record counts. It doesn't count toward relationship with God at all. Acceptance comes because of what he did. Remember, we lost it all. He did it all. We get it all. And so, and by the way, this man graciously stayed through to understand the gospel. His heart was changed, became a believer, joined this church, was a member here many years till he moved away. Let me tell you, this thing, there's a jealousy issue of the elder brother mindset that says, whoa, 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 I deserve better than you because I'm living better than you. Mm, that's a real telltale right there. Let's look at the, let's look at the uh, evidences to close with. Evidences of an older brother mindset. What are some of the evidences? And so, quickly, one he becomes angry with his father over his bad deals of life. He just believes bad things shouldn't happen. So here's the deal. If you and I find ourselves as Christians saying, I am living a strong Christian life, I'm being as faithful as I know how to be faithful, and this happened, my wife did this, or my husband, he got cancer, and he passed away, or my child, after I've been trying to model the Christian faith and my child has gone crazy wild, I'm suffering with pain and ag. It's not right. It shouldn't happen. It's a person that still hasn't quite understood the reality of the gospel. Once we realize we lost it all, we start thinking this way. Man, why am I not suffering more? Why am I not going through it? Because I'm a sinner like everyone else. And the consequences of sin have never been ever described in Scripture as taken away once you become a Christian. So why would I feel that way except I think I deserve better? The younger brother says, I don't deserve anything. I, I'll, I'll tell you what, even if I can just eat what, just what the hired hands eat, if I can just live with the hired hands, that would be plenty. That would be grace right there. It wouldn't be a nice life, but let me tell you, it would be grace. It's a whole different mindset. Number two, he hates his father's rules. Well, he'll keep the father's rules, but he hates them. There's no delight. It's just duty. This week I've been reading Psalm 119, and there the psalmist, oh my goodness, he talks about his delight in the Word and how he loves it. He says, I love thy law. It's my meditation day and night. Jeremiah, Jeremiah said the same thing. He said, oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation. He said, I, thy words were found, and I ate them, and they became to me the very joy, the delight of my heart. You see, you don't hate the things of God and what God tells us to do. We learn that, boy, they're the things that enable us to know our Father even better as we obey in relationship. Obey outside a relationship, it's duty. Obey inside relationship, it becomes delight and joy. And so there's a, 
There's a sense of, of which we say, search me, God, and know. Then number three, number three, he experiences lack of joy as he seeks to relate to his father. So there's not any joy in his life. The elder brother, uh, defensive, very defensive. The mindset that you and I would have as elder brothers would be, you know what? Don't you challenge my Christianity. Ask somebody if they're a Christian. Say, hey, are you a Christian? Now, if you're somebody that doesn't know you, that's no offense. But go to a close friend and say, I need to ask you a question. I've been with you for a lot over the last years, and I, I'm just curious, are, are, you, are you a Christian? Elder brother mindset, what do you mean am I a Christian? How dare you even question it? Of course I'm a Christian. Ask, ask a younger brother who has now come home. Ask him, ask her, are you a Christian? Oh, oh man, smile comes to faith. Am I a Christian? Yes, I am. Oh man, I don't know what I do, absolutely. And they, because it's a gift that they just are so excited to have. They're not defensive. My father, I mean, if you know the story of my father, but my father, uh, he was a moralist, a religious moralist, went to church every week, never saw him read the Bible, ever in my life, never saw him read the Bible. As I became a Christian, I began to be concerned for my father, I began to ask him, Dad, do you, not, do you ever read the Bible? I'm finding it so, so good to read every day. He said, I read the Bible. I said, well, I know you've read it, but he said, look, I don't read any book twice. I've read it once. That's, that's good. I got it. Really? I mean, you, we're talking about the elder brother mindset. Oh, my goodness. He was the real elder brother. I was so burdened for him that I, I, I realized I was not getting to him, and I never would. I'm his son. He needs a peer. My dad was a dentist. And I had met this dentist who lived about 50 miles from us, and, and this dentist was, I mean, tearing it up for the kingdom, using his dental practice to, uh, to just, you know, impact people's lives. He was such an influence, good influence on people. Loved the Lord with all of his heart. So I got with him. I said, Dr. Buck, I don't know if you would know my dad, but my dad is so-and-so, and he's in, you know, such and such city and so forth, Gadsden, Alabama, where we were. And, and uh, I don't know, he said, oh, I do know your dad. I said, do you really? He said, we were, in, we were in dental school together. I remember him well. I've not seen him since. How's he doing? And we talked, and I said, well, he's a religious moralist. I don't think he has any clue what it means to be a follower. And I've done my best. I can't. Would you ever be so willing to try to connect with him and let him hear from your perspective? He said, I will do that, and he did. It wasn't long afterwards. He made a trip 50 miles to meet with my dad. My dad came home that night, and I wish you could see him. My dad didn't have a temper, he didn't, but he came home and he said, what in the world? Bill Buck, I understand you've met him. He comes here to tell me how to become a Christian. What's the deal with him? He's so high and mighty that he thinks he's so religious that he can tell somebody else how to be religious? Well, what did that tell me about his heart? Well, there's no delight there. And it's just a matter of just no joy whatsoever. Number four, 
He, po- he possesses a judgmental spirit against those who break the Father's law. I find it very interesting that the text says, as the elder brother is speaking, this son of yours. He did not say, my brother. This son of yours. Uh, man, just so judgmental. That's true of people who see others who are in bad stuff and they look down and say, they need to be like me. You see what happens to those of us who are here that see your own heart for what it really is? We see so much inside that when we see other people with we say, uh? What's the big deal? You're kind of like me. We're, we're both kind of in the same place, aren't we? The only thing is, you're worse than me, but I'm worse off than you because I don't see the uh in me like you do. Man, how judgmental we can be. Watch in this political world right now. How judgmental, how quickly. I'm telling you, when you see your own sin, mm. number five, last one. He possesses a self-centered concern rather than a concern for those with greater needs. This is the person with the mindset of the elder brother who sees the first parable and their thought is this. He should have never left those 99. Those 99 deserved him to stay. They didn't leave. The one that left does not deserve anybody to come after him. Therefore, I don't agree with that parable. I was reading that parable years ago as I was journaling. And I wrote my journal and I kept this little piece of my journal with me ever since that time. I share this a lot at pastor's conferences, saying that we got to be real careful because this is what we're facing as pastors. Let me just read just a little bit from it. I said, the passion of Christ and his Father is to reach a lost world. You can't read those three parables without believing that. But for a pastor to embrace a passion for the lost world is to make him appear suspect in the best of evangelical churches. It's unacceptable to leave the 99 and look for the lost. Though the church loves when a lost strays in and comes. But you know what? For us to go find lost people, we'd have to, we'd have to give up some conveniences. We'd have to, we, we would maybe have to quit doing some things to start doing other things, such as going to find the lost. I mean, how many of us, and I was not big, but how many of us have never had anybody sitting with us at church that we've invited. But if somebody comes, we're so proud of our church that our our church is reaching new people. If they come, okay. But to go out and search for them? In fact, I've noted that over the years, there's such resistance to the church going too fast, too hard after lost people. So this is how I finished this journal entry. Church members are very forbearing and forgiving regarding the neglect of the loss, while extremely impatient and unforgiving regarding the neglect of the righteous. So we've never had a year, I don't think any church of any size, 100 or larger, 50 or larger, have ever gone a year without somebody leaving the church. People leave every church. 
at some rate. We have not had a big rate of people leaving here. But every year we have at least somebody who leaves this church, and they leave because they're frustrated with this church. In these near 40 years now, get a load of this, I've never once, not one time, had anybody leave the church. And we give exit interviews when people leave to learn from them, to understand. Never once have I ever heard anyone say, I left because I don't see you going out reaching the lost as we need to reach the lost. And there is no doubt about this. I know this church better than any person. We have always been and still are much better at taking care of the 99 than we are of going out to look for the lost. But no one's ever left for that reason. Why? It's, if you take care of me, I'm happy. If we got anything extra left over, let's go, let's go get them. That's why you're going to find me every time we come to a new five years, I'm rethinking and saying, God, how do we go get the lost? Because I put a drawing up on a little piece of paper years ago as a young pastor, and I said, God, the middle line is between we're just taking care of our people, this one over here, we're really going for the lost. I said, until I can get that pushed to the middle point at least, I'm going to stay here till my time is up. But the day I see that we're no longer reaching the lost and we can't keep striving toward it, that's time to let somebody else try because that has got to be the passion of this church. Go after the lost. It's not an either or, it's a both and. But folks, the people with the mindset of the elder brother, they don't seem to be concerned whether lost people come or not. My concern is how's the music? How good is the speaking? How good is the temperature when you get in here? Can I hear well? Can I this? Not that those aren't issues, but let me tell you, they're not the real issue. Issue is God delights over reaching the lost. And when we get rid of that elder brother mindset, we start feeling like beggars who want to show other beggars where we found food. Let me close. Next week, we're going to be delving for two weeks, starting next week with who will embrace the story? But I'm going to close as I did last week. Eastern culture, I want you to realize this. Here's the heart of this story. Eastern culture, the people would know this. They would have understood that it is the job of the younger brother, or the elder brother, I'm sorry, the elder brother to go search for the younger brother who's left. It would be a search and rescue. The elder brother would be saying, I, I, I'll sacrifice whatever I have to sacrifice for the sake of my younger brother to find him. And once I find that younger brother and I bring him home, let me tell you, I'm going to rejoice and we're going to throw a party. Unlike this story. The bigger story is the story of the gospel. And it's the fact that we do have an elder brother and you and I, we left home. We're in a distant land. And what he's done is he says, I'm going after my flock. And Jesus left heaven. And he's come on the search and rescue. And in this search and rescue, he says, I'll sacrifice even my own life, which he did. And now he rejoices like crazy when we come home where the elder brother, younger brother, I'll tell you what, had that elder brother stepped into the house 
and said, oh, Father, you know what? You're fair, you're good, and I love you. He would rejoice the same. So elder brother, younger brother, I want us to pray. As we pray, I'm going to invite you to pray what I was praying for me this morning. I was thinking of the psalmist who says, David, who says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways. See if there's any wicked way within me. See, the younger brother, he doesn't say, is there any wicked way in me? It's how do I stop doing these wicked things? The elder brother says, are there wicked things in me? I'm not too aware. What might they be? David, the chosen king of Israel, the psalmist writer, my goodness gracious, I bet even in spite of all of his previous sin, I bet he grappled with the elder brother syndrome. And therefore, I think that's why he prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my ways. And then when he said, and lead me in the way everlasting, that's leading into the arms of a loving father. And being able to say, your love is enough. And so I'm going to invite all of us to say, God, I want to come home. Whether I'm distant from home or whether I'm close to home, I want to come in the home. I want your love and embrace. I want your kiss. I want, your, I want everything you have for me. I want to get it all right now. And so as we do that, let's ask God, particularly us that are elder brothers in mindset, let's ask him to search our hearts and show us the wicked way within us that we might rejoice in the grace that he's given us, all right? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're going to ask you now, whether we're elder brother or younger brother, whether we're even redeemed as elder or younger brother, even though inside the home, regardless where we are, we just, many of us just want to say right now, search me, God. And, and show me my own heart. Try me. Show me my own ways, the, the bad motives that are behind so many good things we do. Whatever it is, God, would you just cleanse us right now? Would you give us a sense of your delight in welcoming us home? And may that be all we need. And may that be something that we look forward to embracing every day. And may we know what it is to live close to you. Grant that we pray. And we ask in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.